So if you guys have any questions whatsoever about keto or intermittent fasting, whether you're starting keto as a new person or just need to debug your program, or you have a question about a product, call one of our keto consultants. They'll be able to help you. Call 540-299-1557. That's 540-299-1557. Did you realize that an average person consumes only 1.4 cups of vegetables per day? That's right, you heard me, only 1.4 cups. We're supposed to consume at least seven to get our daily minerals and vitamins. Vegetables also supply phytonutrients as well as beta carotene and thousands of plant-based chemicals that give us many added health benefits. To fulfill this missing requirement, Dr. Berg has developed Veggie Solution. Veggie Solution is a high quality greens powder that allows you to easily get your recommended amount of greens every single day. Just two delicious scoops gives you an equivalent of six cups of greens at only 69 cents per scoop. That's less than a dollar for six cups of greens. Dr. Berg's Veggie Solution is a complete protein, highly digestible, low carb, keto-friendly, with tons of omega-3s and absolutely no sugar. Dr. Berg feels it's important that everyone gets their vegetables and made this product cost-effective too. Veggie Solution comes in original and in a raspberry lemon flavor. Go to shop.drberg.com to get yours today. Welcome to the Dr. Berg's Healthy Keto and Intermittent Fasting Podcast, where Dr. Berg takes you on the journey for the truth about getting healthy and losing healthy weight. guys, I have another very interesting guest, uh, John Wood, who is the CEO of U.S. Wellness Meats, okay? Basically, it's an online site that you can actually buy grass-fed animal products. He has a lot of other products. And I, the reason I wanted to talk to him is because I wanted to do a video on grass-fed uh, foods. And the problem is that, um, you know, it's, not, it's hard to find some experts. I wanted to go right to the source find like the expert of this topic who actually is a farmer that's been doing this for a long time. So thanks, John, for being here. And I just uh, want to welcome you. I appreciate you spending the time. I know you're extremely busy with your farms. Dr. Berg, I appreciate the invitation. And I also appreciate your knowledge on grass-fed meats and uh, what you've done for the industry. You're a great uh, asset to our community because you understand the value of smart nutrition and uh, and understand if we go back in the planet, you know, for a million years, uh, we all of our ancestors ate grass-fed meats. In uh, 1900, only 2% of us were diabetic, and uh, cancer and heart disease weren't even discussed by uh, modern medicine at that time point. So it gives you just a little bit of a clue. I think our ancestors had this pretty well figured out. Totally, totally. Um, so uh, the first question I wanted to know, uh, just from your viewpoint, in a, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you can just kind of you know, just give me the summarized version. I know there's a lot more to it, but the difference between grass-fed and grain-fed, um, just kind of tell us like the basic differences. And I know um, all, all of the factory, actually all the factory farming with the cattle is, is grain-fed, but I think they are switching over to grass-fed, but that's a whole different conversation. So just kind of give us the essence of grass-fed versus grain-fed what's what's some basic information people need to know about that 
the most basic simple uh, point I want to make is that the grazing animal uh, is consuming a forage diet, plant-based diet, and the pH and the fermentation vat, the grazing animals, whether it be the bison, be the lamb, be the dairy cow, be the beef cow, uh, these animals, all four of these animal groups have a, a four-chambered stomach. And we have a simple we have, we have a simple stomach in humans and pigs and chickens. But in the first four animals mentioned, the fermentation vat is the first step in the process. And when you're fermenting forages, you have a pH of seven. And that creates this wonderful two-to-one ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. It creates, you know, CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, which fights cancer, diabetes, puts on lean muscle, and good for the circulatory system. On the other hand, when you take the same group of animals and you introduce them to grains and put them on a starch-based diet, uh, the pH goes from pH 7 down to 4.5 or 5, and then you completely change the suite of fatty acids because those families change completely. And so the omega-6-3 ratio goes up to 20 bad guys and one good guy, omega-6. The CLA levels fall apart, and uh, you have a you have a product that's just not near as healthy. And I don't think we realized what we were doing in the 1960s when this was when this change was being made. But in a short, very short, simple statement, the the fats in the grazing animal are very, very healthy, uh, and the fatty acids in the grain-fed animal are not near as healthy. And, uh, and I think of why our why the human population has decreased in health in the last 30 years. Wow. Not to mention the grains are mostly GMO, and that's a whole other topic. Um, as far as, um, tell me about, you see a lot of times you have grass-fed, you have grain finished. Explain that. Well, that's a sad story because basically all animals are on mama's milk and grass until they weigh 600 pounds. And then the next 600, 800 pounds of gain on the animal uh, you know, is either like grazing operations to do it correctly, keep them on grazing all the way to the last day of their lives. A few people think that you have to feed them 30 days of grain at the tail end of the grazing period to get the good flavor, good taste. But they don't realize that they simply annihilate the CLA levels, the uh, the good omega-3 levels, the bad omega-6 levels all right back in. 30 days of grain will ruin 200 days of sunlight and, 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 and grazing animals. And, uh, wow. And what I've learned from Mark Schatzker, who wrote the book called Steak, a New York Times bestseller about six or seven years ago, it's the intramuscular fat uh, is what makes the flavor, makes the wow flavor. And that's not the seam fat in a ribeye. It's it's the intramuscular fat. And it's coming, and it's called, he calls it a photolipid. That's the term I picked up from Mark Schatzker. And the photolipids is where the really wow flavor comes from. I go to a nice restaurant and if I have a, if the grain fed's the only choice, you know, I'll be asked by the waiter, how was your steak? I said, well, it was tender, but it was really bland in flavor. And the really unique flavor comes from the properly raised grass-fed animal that's been on a really high-nutrition diet of good grasses. So that's the, that's the short answer. Oh, wow, interesting. Now, there's one thing that's very unique about your farms. And, and by the way, anyone watching, um, I'm not getting, I'm not an affiliate, I'm not getting any kickbacks for his products, just FYI. But I want to just, I, I like his products and I wanted to um, promote the farmer um, because that's kind of a high quality. I know it takes a tremendous amount of work and I appreciate you doing this and other farmers doing this. But I, I wanted to talk about the unique thing about your soils. Um, I, I, you, you guys have some, like you don't just um, feed your 
your cattle and animals on any any grass, like you, you really put a lot of attention on the soils. Uh, you mentioned that uh, in one of your blogs. Can you tell us a little bit about the soil or the vegetation that is growing that is feeding these animals? Well, there's far more life in the soil below the surface and above the surface, and and I've become very intrigued with uh, with the ability to uh, to create really healthy soil. There's there's a tablespoon of soil has got like a billion microbes in it. People don't really understand that. And we are trying to store carbon. In fact, grazing lands around the world, if you go back to Africa a million years ago, there was no deserts in Africa. It was all grazing lands from Cape Horn to the Mediterranean, and the large herds of grazing uh, herbivores were on that planet, and they were managed by the predators that lived there as well. And so they, they grazed in a group and moved in a group, and uh, and the predators would eat the stragglers, the old and the wounded, or whatever. But that's what we're trying to mimic in, in North America today is by managing these animals. They spend, if you can imagine the the floor in the room you're standing in now, uh, broken up into 30 different cells, and each day they move to a different paddock. Well, after 30 days, you've got a really nice growth of grass, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give the plants a chance to rest. And um, every time, you know, these plants have healthier root systems or pulling more carbon out of the soil. And when you have a really healthy, vibrant soil, you produce healthier, more vibrant animals. You produce more minerals in the beef and uh, and the flavor goes up. Uh, Gabe Brown is kind of the, the guru in, in, in the state of North Dakota who's led this revolution. Uh, several other friends around the country have really perfected it. But uh, we recently, in uh, early late August, early September, northeast Missouri, my landscape received 12 inches of rain in about 10 days. I've got three rather large lakes on my property, and they barely showed much gain in water level. My neighbors had water running over roads and, and uh, you know, quite a, quite a runoff. And I was able to capture and hold almost all of that water, which was amazing. Wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. And because the soil is just like a sponge, when it's healthy, it absorbs water, absorbs nutrients. And, uh, and we call it biodiversity. We're growing, instead of a single monoculture, we're growing 10 and 12 cover crop mixes, uh, summer annual plants that these animals just have a smorgasbord. They've got numerous things to pick from. And these animals are very astute. They'll, they'll pick the top of the plants. Uh, we actually like to graze 30 or 40% of the available forage. And the hoof action will put the rest of it on the soil surface so the microbes can feed. It's a really hard thing to get through your head that you're only going to harvest 30 or 40% of the top of the plants. But that's where the energy is. And the rest of the plant goes to the soil surface to feed the microbes. But once you understand that principle, you're really getting into the into the new term of biodynamic farming. And then then you require no fertility. Uh, Mother Nature does all the work. That's what was, if you look back a million years ago, there was no fertilizer plants. There was nothing being done with Mother Nature. And that's what we're trying to mimic. Fascinating. Now, I have a hard time finding certain questions. Uh, um, or finding certain uh, certain answers when I do research on this topic. Maybe you can help me figure this out. But like a, the typical um, commercial factory farming, uh, especially with cattle, or let's just say chickens, um, you, you see studies that um, that show that they're high in arsenic, um, they're high in uh, Prozac, not high, but they have Prozac in their feathers. There's all these medications, histamines. Um, and so, 
basically, it sounds to me, and I, I don't know if this is 100% true, but they're, even to grow these animals, they have to, um, you know, fill them up with things, antibiotics, they get bigger, but then that might make them tired, so they have to give them caffeine, and then that keep, keeps the problem, so they have to give them downers. I mean, like, is that what's happening in the commercial farming industry? It's just completely out of control with drugs and things to stimulate, inhibit their growth? Well, you know, the, I'm not a chicken producer, but, uh, you know, the chicken industry has been vertically integrated now for probably the last 25 years. You know, they they produce massive quantities of uh, poultry on the market uh, uh, very inexpensively. But the, you know, these chickens, uh, if you can imagine a metal cage, you know, there's room for maybe one bird to stand or two birds to stand, two to, maybe room for two to lay down and two have to stand. And so that's a pretty confined environment, even though they're only in that situation for six weeks and uh, I'm not sure they're given uh, mood altering drugs but arsenic was something they used to put in chicken feed um, that was uh, done and I forget the reason but that was very low levels of that but the, the free range chicken producers which we're working with we have a family and it's a co-op in, in northern Arkansas central Arkansas which is doing this correctly they move these birds twice a day on fresh pasture and these chickens are really astute. They will, um, you know, they will pick up lots of things from the land. They eat the crickets and the and the earthworms, and you know, they're they're getting a lot of nutrients they would normally get through a diet. And so they're they're non-GMO. Um, it's a non-GMO diet. A little bit of corn. Uh, however, their protein needs. They get some non-GMO soybean meal. We actually have one producer using field peas, which we do have a soy-free option now. Um, but they generate about 30 to 40% of their diet off the land. Chickens are pretty resourceful, but their stomachs are the size of a thimble, and so it requires a little bit of concentrated energy to get them to grow at the proper rates. But there are no mood-altering drugs. Um, you know, these are uh, these chickens, and you can tell chickens on stress levels. If they're stressed, you know, they'll start losing feathers, and uh, these birds they look really, really clean when I've, when I've gone to look at them. So they're... Wow. They actually, you know, both farms we're utilizing or using, they call them chicken tractors. These are, these are movable pens that, uh, that are, you know, six feet tall. The water's there. They move into a fresh batch of grass twice a day, sometimes three times a day. And granted, chickens are fair game to predators and coyotes and roving dogs, so you've got to keep them away from the predator populations. That's why you got to have them in a confined setting. Uh, some egg layers will put up a large outer perimeter fence, and the chickens can roam by day. And then they shut them up at night in, into a chicken house to keep the to keep the wily opossums and raccoons away from them. But uh, chickens are uh, are a very interesting animal. They they are the most efficient uh, converter of uh, feed into, into into muscle fiber on the planet. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I was at the grocery store yesterday, and I, I saw they're doing a sale on chickens. It was, it was like three dollars and ninety nine cents for a whole chicken. That was fully cooked. I mean, how could the grocery stores actually make a profit? You know that the cost of feed and the production is so low. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the quality is just zero. Uh, when you said it's a cooked chicken, that also makes me suspicious that there's a story behind that bird. In order to sell it, they had to cook it to, you know, get it into into a clean label state, so to speak. And uh, 
And who knows, it might be a loss leader. There may be other items in that meat counter that are going to make their money. But uh, uh, when I see uh, when I see a cooked chicken like that, it makes me a little suspicious that there's, uh, you know, a fresh chicken can only stay on the counter so long and then they have to cook it. So I'm always leery of a fully cooked chicken. Interesting. I didn't think of that. Um, there's one point I want to bring up about even your company. Uh, it doesn't have a label of organic. So tell us why that is. And I... I know actually in your your state, I think it's, uh, you know, they, they pretty much, you have to, to label it, the certification of organic basically charges you, what, 3% of the gross profits? And I, I mean, I, just clarify that for me. Well, 2005, the state of Missouri, um, the legislature, unbeknownst to me or why they did this, they actually used to have a state office for organic certification. It was a really simple thing, didn't cost much money. Missouri had a lot of certified organic producers, anywhere from chickens to apples to, you know, wine or whatever, and they elected to to take $120,000 out of the budget and turn it over to private industry. And there was a, a company in St. Louis that picked it up, and and I approached them in the fall of 2005, and they, uh, you know, we the farm I had had really been out of. Uh, uh, row crop production for about seven years, and then I knew it would pass. And I asked a lady, I said, how do we renew this? And she says, well, we're going to look at your financial records, and we'll take 3% of the previous year's gross sales in order to maintain the license. And I said, gross sales, not net sales. And she said, yes, your gross sales. And I just thought it was insane. It was going to cost dramatically more than what the state, you know, the state did. You just paid an annual permit, just like a license fee. And so, you know, we've elected to use, you know, apple cider vinegar for, it's out to these animals year-round for parasite control. It does a pretty good side, pretty good job on external parasites as well. That's kind of a trick I picked up 10 or 12 years ago. And so, you know, we're not, uh, we, we've never used hormones. Uh, anything with an antibiotic gets, uh, gets corralled and goes to the standard auction. And these animals don't really hardly ever get sick. The diet they're on, the land they live on, and the health of the soil, we rarely ever see a sick animal. And, uh, you know, the apple cider vinegar is kind of our face in the hole for that. And uh, we're not buying prepared fertilizers. Uh, you know, we let the, let the soil microbes do it. So we're pretty much an organic uh, product right now, but then when you certify organic, you've got a paper trail you got to maintain. That's more staff, and then the the harvesting plants got to keep track of it. They charge more money, and then the you know there's just a whole series of costs that roll into that thing, and it ends up the consumer is going to spend more money. And I I kind of agree with Joel Salatin when I call the prairie populace to the grass fed movement. Grass grass fed is beyond organic because. 99% of all the organic beef sold in America today has been grain-fed uh, organic corn. And organic corn will give you the same omega-6 levels as not organic corn. So I've always said grass-fed is beyond or organic. And uh, and to me, that's the real that's the real separation right there. Interesting. Um, as far as where this is going, um, I think even the factory farms are, are going towards grass-fed, but they're going to do it in pellets or something? or well, no, we're not uh, we're not feeding grass-fed pellets. I mean, that's uh, uh, I know there's some of that going on, but uh, I mean, you can buy alfalfa pellets, I guess, which would be a form of grass. But um, we actually have a large number of animals right on the Gulf Coast year-round now in the southern tip of Alabama, which is kind of a 
you know, it's protected by Mobile Bay in the Gulf, and we can actually do year-round grazing in the in the far deep south, and that's where our winter production takes place. So it's very expensive to feed animals uh, stored hay and uh, stored baleage in the winter months. It's just uh, difficult to do when the air gets really cold. It, it takes a lot of energy for them to maintain body heat. So we try to have most of our animals along the Gulf Coast in the uh, in the winter during 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 the winter time frame. Interesting. Um, another thing that you, I, I noticed, I, and I purchased some of your hamburger with, was it like 55%, right? It was, I think it was 45% fat. Incredible. Yeah, in fact, that's um, Ben Greenfield is kind of a famous Spartan racer in the United States and a great fan of the grass-fed industry. And uh, he encouraged us to do that, I guess, in April of 2017. And uh, he got behind it and promoted it. And uh, I think by the end of the year last year, that was a number 13 selling item in the entire web store. I would have never believed how it took off. But we not only have it's, you are correct, it's 55% lean to 45% fat, which, by the way, is the exact same ratio of our pemmican bars, which is uh, we've had around now for 15, 16 years. And pemmican is, is my breakfast f- fuel, so to speak. And it's also 55% uh, uh, beef jerky and 45% straight beef tallow, which is about 230 calories and about 12 grams of protein and a 2.14 ounce serving, which is probably one of the most intense uh, foods you can take. And we actually have a sailor, Isvan Kopar, who is in the great global race going around the world, 30,000 miles of uh, transit from uh, the coast of France and left there in July, coming back hopefully in March of this year. Of the 18 sailboats that took off, there's only seven or eight left in competition. And this man has got 360 pounds of pemmican in the hold of his ship. He's quite excited by uh, by his explorer diet. But uh, that's another interesting story on pemmican. But that's, you know, the ketogenic movement is real and alive. And, and uh, I think uh, people start eating that. And I, I just keep hearing stories about I started eating keto and I lost 20 pounds, 30 pounds. I talked to someone a couple of weeks ago, I lost 100 pounds in the last year by changing their diet. Yeah, yeah. The, it's, it's happening. It's, it's a really amazing thing. And you want something that's higher in fat and protein. You don't want lean. Like I, I bought some, one time I, I by mistake, I bought some hamburger from the grocery store. It was 90% uh, lean, 10% fat. I couldn't even eat it. It was just too dried out, too disgusting. But but you're, you're a high-fatty hamburger. And I also uh, like you have a version that has some organ meats mixed in there. I really like that as well. And also your liverwurst. So um, because to find a grass-fed, high-quality product organ meats, which actually is has more nutrients than even vegetables, um, Iron, vitamin A, um, the B vitamins, I mean, incredible. It's just very sustaining. So I'm glad that you have that. Well, thank you. The organ meats, uh, you know, it's just amazing how many organ meats we've sold over the last 18 years. But uh, um, when you add the, uh, when you add, um, when you add the um, uh, organs to your diet, uh, you know, just neat things happen, and that's uh, that's been the really really fun part of this business. And liverwurst, believe it or not, uh, out of the 390 products we sell, it, it ranks third or fourth. It kind of flips between three and four for the revenue generator. It's just stunning how much liverwurst we sell, and it's it's 15% kidney, 15% heart, and 20% liver. And uh, and if you talk to any old time medical doctors, you know they would always say eat your liver and uh, 
and eat your hearts. I mean, those organ meats have a lot of enzymes, and you know, you understand as well as anybody about the, the importance of that. And just amazing how many people I've talked to in the last 15 or 16 years that uh, have raved about those organ meats. And those recipes actually go back about 100 years. A gentleman that, that mm-hmm. helped us create those back in uh, the first three or four years of business. That's a that was his grandfather's, you know, three by four card, which is kind of an interesting story. But um, it's uh, and then if you go back to Dr. Weston Price uh, when he studied when he traveled the world back in the you know pre World War II or World War II era, he found that the Aborigines in Australia had the lowest number of cavities or caries I guess is a proper dental term of any population on the planet. And the unique feature about the Aborigines they had the highest consumption of organ meats of anybody in these travels and he'd most he'd gone to America been over he'd gone to Europe gone to Africa gone into Australia so the more organ meats you consume you know the better your odds are uh, beating the long longevity game absolutely well I know that you're probably extremely busy it was hard to nail you down to do this interview but I just appreciate the uh, increased awareness on some of these points that people might not be aware of. So thank you, John. I appreciate it. I'm going to put a link, guys, down below to his website. Check it out. Um, it's awesome. Thank you so much, John. Dr. Bird, thank you. It's been great. So I want to know about what you think about this video. So please comment below and tell me what you think. Hey, guys, I just want to let you know I have my new keto course just came out. It's a mini course. It covers all the basics and how to do it correctly. You can get through this in probably 20 minutes at the very most. So if you're interested, click the link below and get signed up now.